Quick one, if you can hit follow or subscribe to this podcast, that really helps me track new listeners. Cheers. Hello and welcome back to the Wealth Journal podcast with me, Jay Hardy. Now, it's actually been a few weeks since I last posted a brand new episode, so it is great to be back on the podcast. And this week, I welcome Lee abdul So, who is the Managing Director at Linus Digital Finance. Now, Linus offers private investors access to exclusive private real estate investments. And their mission is to advance real estate investing into the digital age, combining both technology and expertise to give co-investors access to high-quality investments, whilst also providing best-in-class investment experiences. Now, I haven't yet covered real estate or property in much detail on the podcast, so I was very excited to meet with Lee and learn a little bit more about the asset class, but also Linus in general. Now, remember, as always, The Wealth Journal is not financial advice. Anything myself and Lee discuss is purely for educational purposes And of course, before making any investment decision, please make sure you do your own research and or seek advice from a qualified investment professional. Now, with that out of the way, let's get cracking. So, Lee, welcome to the Wealth Journal podcast. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No problem. So Lee, before we before we jump in, and I'm excited about this episode because we're covering, I think we're covering new ground for my podcast because we haven't previously discussed real estate before. Um, but I'd just like to first start with with you, Lee. What's you know, who are you? What's your what's your background? Sure. Um so my name is Lee Opto. So um as you just elaborated, I'm uh, the managing director for Linos um in the UK. Linus is essentially a real estate investment firm which invests into uh, real estate credits um, on the one hand. And on the other hand, Linus is a digital fintech. So we are basically originating real estate debt and then giving private high net worth individuals, semi-professional investors, the ability to co-invest with us into those specific real estate projects. I myself basically have a background in the financial industry. I studied uh, business administration in Germany at WHU, which is like a business school. So I would say straight, uh, straightforward CV. Um, then moved on uh, as a first career stage to Credit Suisse uh, in London, where I started in the investment banking division, basically doing leverage finance. Leverage finance is essentially uh, advisory for private equity uh, companies investing um, into uh, into you know uh, different forms of companies, but uh, doing that by raising a lot of debt. And uh, my job in the bank was basically working on those debt issuances, marketing the debts to other professional uh, investors like credit funds and so on. So that was basically my starting point in my career. Then. I moved over to Oak Tree Capital Management, where I was in the European high yield group investing then into those products I was creating on the other side. So basically making the switch from the sell side to the buy side and investing into those kind of levered loans and high yield bonds. And uh, then uh, I, I got to Linus, where I'm uh, quite happy at the moment and uh, investing into real estate now. Fantastic. And I guess if we go back to you when you was a little bit younger, maybe coming out of university or even just pre that, what was it about the financial service industry that, you know, that made you go for 
go for a career within that? I think um, when you start your career, uh, you know, some people are at the beginning still, you know, considering what they're going to do, not quite sure. I think for me, it was a bit different. I already knew quite early that I wanted to go into the financial industry. I think for me, it was just a great combination of, on the one hand, it's analytical work, right? So you look into, um, you know, business plans and into into companies, how they're performing. And it's a lot of kind of, you know, analytical work. But on the other hand, it's also kind of, entrepreneurial because you have to have the understanding to you know see why is a certain business is very appealing um, understand like a product and the kind of commercial perspective of the business and I think combining this both is um, you know uh, like quite a great opportunity in finance because you kind of get an understanding of both worlds and um, I was always sure that you know, I wanted to study business and then finance was kind of the traditional, I would say, next step. And that was also the reason why I went to WHU, which is kind of a very well-known business school in Germany for Korean finance. So I would say I was, you know, switched on quite early that I wanted to go into this direction. Um, and I think it's also to a certain extent necessary because those roles are quite competitive to get into. And the earlier you know that you want to go into this direction, the earlier you can start, you know, preparing for it. Yeah, of course. And how did you sort of eventually end up at Linus then? What was it about Linus that appealed to you and also just the real estate sector in, in general? I mean, I personally, before I started my my financial career, I had a little stint kind of co-founding uh, a legal tech business uh, in Germany in my last year of university. It was essentially... Uh, my flatmate, two lawyers, and myself, where we tried to build a marketplace for legal advice services, which you can buy uh, on a fixed price basis. I did that with them for approximately yeah, 12 months um, in my last year uh, of, of, of uh, university. And we also raised a little bit of funding at Seed Money and, and so on, hired a couple of people and kind of did the groundwork. Um, but after 12 months, I for myself realized that you know the team wasn't the right one for you know um going for this this mission um kind of you know making the the legal advisory market more accessible for individuals um and i decided to kind of get get out of it um and uh you know, but I really enjoyed the kind of entrepreneurial approach and trying, you know, to build something new and uh, working on, uh, you know, very basic problems and trying to to solve them. And, you know, given that I was always someone who is quite interested in entrepreneurship and, you know, creating something new, building something new. Um, but, you know, the first thing didn't really work out as planned, uh, you know, in, in, in hindsight, it was exactly the right decision. The business is not existing anymore. Uh, the other guys continued for like three years, but then stopped that kind of project. I myself, you know, left after a year and then thought like, okay, I mean, I'm a career starter basically. So I need to kind of progress and, you know, get to the next stage. So what am I doing? And then given that I did during my uh, university, uh, an internship at Credit Suisse as well, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, luckily kind of start right away. Um, and then I went basically into, into the finance world and, um, you know, 
like when you work for those big businesses uh, like Credit Suisse and Oakley, I mean, those are huge institutions. Um, I think Credit Suisse has a lot, around like 50,000 people working there. Oakley, I think it's around 1,000 now, but 140 billion US dollar as under management. So the structures are very clear. There's a very, very clear career path you have to go through. And essentially as a junior role there, the job pretty much looks always the same and it's really you have to have a lot of stamina to you know work yourself through the ranks and um, I mean it's a great great career and you learn a lot a lot of smart people but it's you know it's a very very long-term path it's very predictable if you put in the work but it takes a long time until you can you know make your decisions originate your own deals do your own deals and have you know something to 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 let's say, you know, say um, on the table. Um, and, you know, I spent like a bit over a year at Oak Tree and I got approached for um, Linus by the founder, David, who was looking for someone who was basically building out the UK business for them. And I liked the idea of, you know, making an asset class, which is really attractive, like really available, to not just you know private debt funds, but also to private investors, um, because they don't really have the ability to invest into individual kind of real estate credit deals, except for kind of fund of fund solutions, which is you know very very far away from the actual product. I mean, you select an asset manager or um, several asset managers, and they doing then real estate credit deals. You don't really see the underlyings, and I think making investors or giving them the opportunity to directly invest into single individual deals where they maybe you know they are from you know a certain geography they know a city pretty well maybe they even know the actual asset and then they can invest i think it gives a lot more like make investing a bit more tangible mm -hmm. and i thought that's a really really interesting idea and you know for me with a financial background combining entrepreneurship with still investing I think that really, you know, made the made the role attractive to me. And on the flip side, I'm also like, you know, still quite young. So taking kind of entrepreneurial risk early in your career, I think, is 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 very, you know, attractive and interesting. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe good career advice as well for people listening to this. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Take risk. It's important. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, so just in terms of Linus itself then and how it actually works, you've mentioned um, sort of investing in like these credit deals essentially. Just talk me through a little bit of how, how does it work? What what sort of, what are people actually investing in? Is it is it a tangible um, project or a piece of property or is it more the the debt behind it? How does it, how does it work? So Linus, in itself, I think we understand ourselves um, to a certain extent as an investment fund compared to, for example, crowdfunding, um, where, where we have basically funds from institutional investors available, which we use to invest into deals. So we are not just brokering them, we're actually investing ourselves into those kind of um, deals. Those deals are typically, uh, you know, um, for example, new developments, so if a real estate developer acquires a site and wants to build like a residential asset out of it, um, that's 
what we do um, traditionally. And then another prototype of a deal would be, for example, an office refurbishment, you know, a value-add case where a real estate sponsor basically acquires an empty office block, wants to kind of completely refurbish it and do the reletting. Then we basically give them the debt capital to, to do so, um, you know, Everything which is real estate related, uh, we, we we have a look at. Um, we tend to invest into projects which are not appealing to to banks, because the banks are obviously the cheapest financing source for debt instruments. So if uh, you want to get a deal done, you know, buy a house, uh, develop something, you have the high street banks like Barclays, NetWest, mm-hmm. and those kind of guys, but. What we have found is that the lending processes with them are, you know, quite painful, take a long, lot of time. Um, but um, on the flip side, I mean, they're they're cheaper. We, on the other hand, we're way quicker in execution. We are happy to take a bit more risk. We are happy to provide provide a bit of a higher leverage, and uh, hence, you know, sponsors who are looking for financial return if time is of the essence they go or they tend to go then with us. So what we do then is we provide them with the debt capital to, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, go through their project. Usually like, you know, in terms of if we look at the total cost of the project, I would say we go like, or well, we are around like 80 to 90% of the costs are financed then by us and then 10 to 20% by the developer in the form of equity. Um, this kind of debt instrument, then we kind of do the underwriting process of the of the deal. Uh, so basically, usually it, it consists of, you know, getting an understanding of the business plan, underwriting uh, kind of the, 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 the valuation of the, of the underlying asset in the current form. And um, after the, you know, refurbishment or, or development, we do the technical um, due diligence with advisors looking, you know, what the asset quality is, whether there's any issues with the, with the kind of um, asset quality and um you know the, the the legal pack obviously you know is also a big consideration looking at you know the title documents if everything is everything in order do the contract work so really making sure that the the, the project is kind of sound um and then we basically fund initially the investment like 100 percent of it so if it's for example let's say it's a 20 million development project you know 60 million are funded by us for me and then by the sponsor and then we, in the aftermath of the project, once it's, once it's executed and you know, paid out, then we offer the 60 million or part of those 60 million to our co-investors on our platform. So via our digital platform, people can log in and get materials on the project, meaning they get the investment memorandum where all our underwriting and due diligence outcomes are basically described. You know, the reason why we invested into the deal, why we like it, why we think it's attractive and the return we are basically offering for it. And then people can invest from around 50 to 100K, depending on which geography, into those deals. And they're sitting then alongside us in those deals. Usually, you know, those deals, depending on whether it's a senior loan or a mezzanine loan. So is it a first rank security, a second rank security yield from, you know, between four and up to you know double digit return, I think around ten percent, eleven percent is the highest. What we what we syndicate via our platform. Okay, and for me as say a private investor, then what am I actually buying? I'm not buying a physical piece of real estate or fractional ownership. I'm I'm almost no. investing. I'm investing in the in the financing of a project. 
Exactly. It's it's essentially you know very simple terms if you think about it, like your mortgage bank, right? Once when you buy a property, yes, you own it on paper, but there's still a huge liability against it, right? And the bank is basically having a first charge on the asset, meaning if you don't pay the underlying uh, you know uh, interest payments and the amortization essentially the bank can take the house away from you to recover the outstanding debt, right? And we act in, in, in exactly the same way. We are just not as cheap as a mortgage bank um, because we take kind of development risk and so on. So if the co-investors investing with us, they are basically giving a loan with us together to the real estate developer, but they have the underlying security of real estate below, meaning if things go south, you know, you always have a real asset behind it, uh, and hence your recover, recovery profile is pretty good. If things go wrong, there's always the asset below it, even though you don't want to enforce that because that's uh, you know a very painful process. And um, if that happens, that means that our underwriting was maybe not the, the best one at the beginning. Okay, and let's let's take a let's take a step back then, in just in terms of overall asset classes. Obviously, you've got. You've got stocks, you've got commodities. These days, you've got digital assets. And real estate has obviously been a cornerstone of, of, I guess, investors' portfolios for many years. Why is real estate important as an investment? Um, and sort of what role do you think it plays in people's portfolios? Look, I think, you know, real estate in general is you know, one one of the biggest asset classes globally. I think it's about 50 trillion uh, globally, so the biggest one out there. And it's, you know, depending on where it is, obviously a very, very secure kind of income generating um, asset class. So from that perspective, I think, you know, every portfolio should uh, consist, you know, and have a certain allocation to real estate um, because it's not very volatile. You have predictable kind of cash flows. Um, and the underlying security is just, just strong between, because it's a real asset, right? It's not just the concept of, you know, a theoretical value. Like, for example, when you look at, you know, equity in, 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 in companies, I mean, there are companies which are like, if you think about, for example, Nokia, which have, have uh, or were market leader in a certain category from one day to the another, like over years, it's basically worthless, right? Um, I mean, that's not the, the, the common um, thing which happens with like, you know, very, very mature companies, but it can happen. Yeah. Well, when you look at real estate, you know, if it's like in a, in a certain geography, like in a, like, you know, urban region, like there will never be a zero to the value of it. Maybe it will fluctuate a bit, but the volatility is obviously way longer, right? Then I think the stability in cash flows is also very interesting. I mean, if we talk in particular about residential, right? I think if you think about disposable income as a consumer, right, or as a tenant, the last thing you will probably cut is the payments of your apartment. I mean, that's something it's just not negotiable and you have to pay it. Otherwise, you have no place to stay. And that makes the, the cash flows of such an asset, um, you know, super secure and stable. So it's it's almost like an annuity. I mean, you have a bit of capex you have to, you know, pay and keep the the, the, the asset, you know, um, up to standard. But if you do that, I think there's a very, very high predictability um, of income. Um, and I think, you know, low this this low volatility high predictability of of the cash flows that makes it like a very attractive asset class yeah and when it comes to investing with linus i know 
I tend to think of real estate as one, you get capital growth because the value of the, the property can, can go up, hopefully. But then you also can receive income through rentals and things like that. Does your investment in Linus also have an element of accumulation as well as capital growth? I think um, if you think about how we invest, we invest usually in the debt of a property. So like the, the capital appreciation is, you know, usually an equity element and, you know, it comes over time, but it's also uncertain, right? You, you, it's basically the equity risk you're taking. The market growth is the growth where the property price increase. It's a bit of a prediction, right? And what we, what we do is basically debt investment. So, the the return is fixed. I mean, it's fixed income, so you know exactly what you get out of it, okay. uh, and um, hence, you know, there's no you know upside. But on the flip side, there's no downside risk, right? Um, because you know exactly what you get out of it, and you know the, the whole equity needs to be wiped out before you start losing money. And if you you know what we do, usually we lever investment up to kind of seventy five percent loan to value, meaning you know if you acquire an asset for hundred pounds 75 of it would be a loan and so you have like 25 of headroom right in order to get to the point where you start losing money you know you have to have a you know downward valuation of 25 percent that's very you know unlikely in the real estate space so you know the security profile of your return is completely different from the equity risk if you're investing into the into the property as the equity investor so i think it's an amazing opportunity for people who want to have a fixed income with very reliable kind of um, cash flow and payment um, and then I think that is the right the right choice I get it and I think you've, you've sort of semi-answered this question already but if I was a, again a private investor I've got 50,000 to 100,000 what's the the benefit of of me I guess investing with Linus versus purchasing my own real estate your physical tangible real estate property as an investment I think the biggest advantage is a you have professional investors who basically do the work for you. I mean, we are screening like probably around 200 opportunities uh, a month. Um, we have invested over 1.3 billion euro um, to date uh, and have done over I think 70 deals at the moment. So we have a certain you know institutional knowledge of what looks good and what should it look like. If you go out as a private investor, you have to, you know, have, you know, do the legwork, find the property, do the analysis, think about the business plan. Does it make sense? And you can usually only allocate it to one individual unit. For example, if you have like 50, 100K, that's probably the equity pay down for like, you know, uh, average flat in London, right? If you invest with us, you don't have all of that. It's very, very easy. You can just log in. All the information is there. We pre-vetted the deal. And the deal is already there, right? It's not like you have to give a bit on an asset and then maybe you get it. You don't. For us, we already secured the deal. So you can just you know, invest in quite an easy and seamless way while relying on our expertise on the deal or on the real estate space. And I think you know the, the, the second big part of it is you're not taking equity risk, right? You're taking basically debt risk. You see, okay, I got 7% return over the next two years, you know, but I have a 
way better downside protection if the market turns. I don't have a write down of my of the, of the value right um, of my loan. I will get my seven percent, except for the case where the where the market turns twenty five percent, which again in the real estate space needs to go really bad that this happens. Yeah, and I guess you don't have the headaches of actually having to own and manage your physical property and all, all that comes with that as well. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think that that feeds into the first point I made, right? It's just way more convenient. And I think in particular, when you invest small amounts of money, right, like a 50, 100K, then you really need to think about where can I spend the least amount of time, but still get a decent return, right? Because if I, if I take like three months to make like, you know, 20% return on my equity, uh, and I have three, three months of full-time work on, you know, managing the property, kind of refurbishing it and whatnot, like the incremental gain I make, you know, of 20K, it's it's not really adequate for what I actually do all the time, right? And 20% return is actually quite high if I'm able to achieve that as an equity return on real estate. So, you know, the more time you save, I think the better. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think we can put a real value on time, can we? Because it's, uh, it's incredibly important. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Okay, I'm, I think I'm. I think I'm sold. So, when it comes to actually the investment process, what does that look like for a, for a co investor? And you might have already touched on this a little bit, but just talk me through that. So, um, generally, when you want to invest via our platform, we only accept accept like semi professional, high net worth investors um, due to regulatory constraints. Um, and uh, hence, when you when you want to invest with us. You can log in or, or sign up on our platform, and then you get asked to do a little um, investor quiz um, that basically helps us to determine whether you are a sophisticated investor and you understand the risk you are dealing with. If you are accepted on the platform, um, given that you're a sophisticated investor, a high net worth investor, a semi-professional investor, or even a professional investor, then you will will get access via our digital platform to all of our deals, right? So basically, we have on our platform for each deal a certain section where you get all the kind of underlying materials in our underwriting. So you can have a look and pick and choose basically which deal or investment you like. Then our uh, our um, relationship manager, they will um, definitely give you a call after you sign up, walk you through the platform, give you all the information you need. If you have any questions, you know, um, they try to answer anything and you know um, provide you know more information on the on the individual deals. Um, if you know you decide you want to you want to go with a certain deal, I mean everything basically works paperless via our platform. You get basically the 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 accession documents to our uh, individual fund entities, and then you basically. Um, yeah, sign those accession documents, get access to our fund vehicle, and uh, you are a co-investor after you've transferred uh, basically the, the amount outstanding. Oh, fantastic, fantastic! I know it always it always uh, intrigues me because I guess obviously the the term sophisticated investor that's part of I think it's FCA regulation, isn't it? In terms of who can get access to certain deals, and um, I think for the listener, 
it's around about if you, uh, I think you have assets of over maybe 250,000 excluding your house and earn a salary of over 100,000 a year. You're yes. considered a sophisticated investor. So it's completely tied to how much money you have rather than being uh, sophisticated in terms of intelligence. Uh, but yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's, that's just the way it works. Um, so if you are in that category, then yes, you will be classed as a sophisticated investor. Um, can you just tell me a little bit more? Because you've got, you've also got some other products as well. You've got the the Linus funds. Can you just give me a bit of an insight into into the, into that? Sure. So apart from uh, our you know Linus growth is, is predominantly real estate debt, we also offer other products. One of them is the Linus Core, which is essentially the the fractional ownership you 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 referred to at the beginning. So investing into the equity of an asset. Then we have Linus portfolio where we combine certain debt products and then create a portfolio out of it. So you invest into 10 deals at the same time that you have a bit of diversification. And then the third product um, you just you just touched on is Linus funds. Linus funds is essentially a funds of fund strategy, meaning we are making or giving access to real estate private equity funds via our platform. Um, Like real estate private equity funds are generally private equity funds only accept investors over a certain hurdle. Uh, So with, you know, if you want to invest 200K, uh, chances are pretty low that you can directly invest as a limited partner into a private equity fund. So usually you need to come up with at least five to 10 million uh, euro or US dollar, depending on where the fund is, uh, to be eligible to the you know well-performing funds. Most of the people don't have that, A and B. Most of the people don't want to commit that you know, to one individual fund, right? Because you want to diversify here as well. So what we have created is basically a feeder vehicle. So we market, for example, the Bain uh, Capital special situations funds we are currently um, having it on our platform and we are basically gathering investors interest like from 50k onwards uh, upwards sorry uh, for 50k upwards uh, you know they can commit to us the 50k uh, we gather like let's say like 200 investors and then commit basically 10 million to the fund through our feeder vehicle. So the, the, the 200 investors invest their 50K into the feeder vehicle, the feeder vehicle then invests into the Bain Capital Special Situations Fund. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to make this private asset class accessible for you know private investors as well because the returns are just you know quite attractive. And previously there was just no chance to be able to really invest into specific funds. Yeah. There's a real trend that I've noticed the last sort of, well, I guess it's happening at the moment of assets just being more democratized, like allowing, although, you know, you still have to be quote unquote, a sophisticated investor. But like you said, previously, some of these funds or asset classes or private equity were just reserved to the very, very few. And we've seen that through, you know, flat fractionalization of, of artworks, for example, or even um, funding for, for startups um, and I think it's I think it's great for the for the investment industry because, like you said, th- there's a huge amount of returns available that generally aren't available to to I guess a certain class of investors, which is which I think is is a good trend that we're seeing going forward. 
No, definitely. I think it's a super interesting trend and I think the right trend. Uh, it's, it's basically taking out the middleman, right? Because in the past, you know, if you go back 20, 30 years, probably most of the, of the, of the investment business was done by, you know, the, the, the high street banks were advising their clients to invest into certain, you know, stocks or, you know, funds or, you know, um, some form of investment products or independent financial advisors, also a big, big driver of the market. Uh, basically, you know, doing advisory to private individuals. But I think, uh, you know, the, the the amount of fees you were paying were just way higher uh, because there were so many, uh, you know, people along the value chain. I think now the investors are basically, you know, leapfrogging that bit of the value chain and just saying, okay, I can just go on market directly to to those investors, but only with the help of, you know, digital platforms because that makes my business kind of scalable, right? Because, you know, if I need to do marketing to, you know, uh, instead of 20 LPs, I need to go to 200,000 individual investors Then I need to have some form of scale in the business and, you know, um, online platforms, you know, videos about deals. Those are things which I can just, you know, copy paste uh, without uh, having to have like the individual kind of, you know, sales representatives uh, talking to individual people. And, by that, you know, you just take out basically fees and generate higher returns for the for the investors. Um, and, you know, I think people have, you know, if they invest into areas which they're interested in, also the opportunity to, to learn a, a lot. You know, financial education is, I think, very important. It hasn't been done a lot over the past. And I think this trend is really helping that because people are actually looking into the deals, trying to understand them and just, you know, um, gathering more knowledge around it. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there is just so much more information out there for, for for people. And if you want to learn more about investing, it's almost like, yeah, you can start to see a little bit more behind the scenes. And I, I sort of heard one analogy. It's a little bit like the travel industry was maybe a few years ago. You'd have to go to a travel agent and they'd have all the data behind the scenes in terms of how you can book a flight and would, would pretty much they would see it, but you as the consumer wouldn't. Whereas you know, fast forward a few years and you've got companies like Expedia and Skyscanner and all stuff like that, you're able to then actually see behind the scenes and take control yourself. That's sort of happening in the investment world. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely exciting, especially if you can learn along the way, as long as you don't get burnt too much, then um, yeah, it's a positive trend. So I guess like probably one of my my biggest questions at the moment. We're, we're currently still operating in a, a high inflation environment. How does real estate perform when it comes to you know a high inflation environment? Is it is it considered a, a safe bet? Is it better than other asset classes? What's your take on that? I mean, generally, um, real estate is considered as one of the great hedges against inflation. I think, in particular, I mean, we're looking currently in a in a stuck a stagflation, so basically um, high high and uh, high high inflation, but no real growth, and um, meaning you know that in particular consumers get get squeezed. Um, in particular, into like in those market phases, real estate is considered to be one of the asset classes which is strongly outperforming compared to others. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense if you look in particular at, the, for example, residential asset class that, that comes back to the point I made before, right? Um, this is one of the areas where people, you know, 
never really save on their rent. So even though, you know, you have kind of, you know, um, pressure on disposable income on, you know, private individuals, the rent is paid and hence the predictability of cash flows is just, just, you know, there all the time. Um, that makes it super attractive and the value appreciation in that case, right? Um, given that, uh, you know, um, the, 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 like basically cash is losing in worth, people are fleeing into assets and asset prices are as a consequence just increasing. And when you own the asset, right, you have a period of inflation, the price is just going up off the asset as well, right? So from that perspective, um, you know, it is a great hedge, in particular of the underlying kind of rent agreements are also linked to inflation, right? So you have that hedge built in into the cash flows as well. And that's why the rent levels are rising with inflation and hence the value of the underlying property is rising with um, inflation. And if someone who's listening to this episode now wants to continue on that journey of, of learning and adaptability, how can they learn a little bit more about Linus and um, and, and what you do? What's the, what's the best resource available? Where should they go? I think the best uh, resource available is our website. Uh, I think it's quite f- straightforward to to sign up and, and, and log in. And um, I think, you know, talking then to our relationship manager is is, is quite helpful. Um, he can, uh, he or she can guide you basically through the platform, show you what's available, explain you, you know, the information uh, on certain deals. And I think it's also a learning uh, experience for, for investors, right? Especially if you're not that experienced in, in real estate yet. I think looking at our underwriting materials, looking at, uh, you know, the, the, the points we are highlighting is, is a very good learning exercise to understand what are professional real estate investors actually looking for, what are the points they, they, they highlight, uh, and I think that helps a lot to 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 shape your own kind of investment decision making. Yeah, fantastic. So um, I'll make sure we uh, we link the the website into the show notes. But I think it's is it linus financecouk You've got a fairly new exactly. UK website. Yeah, fairly new UK website. Yeah. Uh, well, Lee, thanks again for for coming on the podcast. It's been a been a pleasure to talk to you, and certainly um, very interesting hearing about your experiences and hearing more about Linus. I think it's a, a fascinating area of the market that, personally, I didn't have a huge amount of knowledge on, but just from this conversation, it's um, definitely opened my eyes um, to to other things that are available that I didn't know uh, existed previously. So, thank you so much for your time. Perfect. Thanks a lot for for having me. It was really a pleasure. 